Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. In both people's eyes, Wayne Gretzky is a great hockey player. He may be the greatest of all time. But for me, he's also a great relationship coach. So think of these things that he has said. Only one thing is ever guaranteed, that is that you will definitely not achieve the goal if you don't take the shot. No matter who you are, we're creatures of habit. The better your habits are, the better they will be in pressure situations. And finally, procrastination is one of the most common and deadliest of diseases, and its toll on success and happiness is heavy. And I think about these things whenever I hear about the stigma associated with couples counseling. When I hear the statistics about couples waiting an average of six years to get help with an ongoing problem, and that only 19% of couples seek out help, it ticks me off that couples counseling is condemned as useless when the truth is it's rarely even given a chance. In fact, it's been shown to help 70% of couples who actually engage in it. So today, I want to tackle the misperceptions about couples work with relationship coach and writer Kyle Benson. Kyle, thanks for coming back on this show and talking about what seems to be, I don't know, I don't know why we have to keep talking about this, but, maybe, but, that's, but that's what we're going to be talking about today is, is why couples counseling gets such a bad rap. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around it, and I think there's a lot of, um, I mean, I think part of it is the misconceptions and, and barriers emotionally that come up. Like if I go to couples counseling, then clearly their marriage is already in a bad place, uh, mm-hmm. or, um, right, we well, yeah, I mean, are it is, struggling to what point, yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the, one of the other, you, you, wrote a, you wrote a piece, um, a post called, Is It Time to Go to Couples Counseling? And in there you actually put a, I think there's a statistic there that it's something like only 37% of couples who get divorced actually tried couples counseling before they got divorced. And it's like, <laughs> and to me, this is a mind-boggling statistic. The same thing with waiting six years, you know. I mean, and, and it's true that some things can get better with time, and I suppose maybe that's one of the things we're, we're going to talk about. But one of the things I want to start with is what are some of the misperceptions or myths out there about couples counseling? I think some people find it that it, there's myths like it's unhelpful, it's not productive, mm-hmm. um, it only leads you to divorcing, um, right? It's going to be uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Addressing issues doesn't actually help improve the relationship. Um, I mean, there's even the myth of, like, if love takes work, then it wasn't meant to be. Oh, um, yeah, that one. <laughs> you know, or, or there's even, like, well, the real problem isn't the relationship. It's my partner. My partner's personality sucks or they're lazy or whatever narrative that comes up, which is, I mean, there might be some hint of truth to that, but then the reality is, is well, you're in a relationship, so inevitably you have some part in that as well, right? You're in some way being complicit to that too. Well, yeah, and that's and and that could be a really sticky thing because you know, even even if your partner may have like ninety percent of it, you've got ten, 
And, you know, I mean, and I, you know, that's one of the things that, that I would always get. It's like, well, you know, essentially what people would say to me is, you know, my partner's, my partner's broken, fix them. And it's like, okay, no, your partner is not broken. <laughs> you know, your partner's doing what your partner does, and you're doing what you do, and it's that combination that's creating some challenges. Um, you know, and, and yeah. again, I, you know, I, I love it when people say that couples work isn't effective, and, you know, and a lot of times it's because, you know, I'll, if, if somebody comes to me and they've told me they, they've done work before, and I'll say, oh, you know, how, you know, how long? It's like, oh, we went one or two sessions. And I went, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're kind of like shaking your head like, okay. So, you well, know, I if you think, go to a so trainer, on it's on like that. one or two sessions are going to work for you. So, anyway, you're saying? Right. Yeah, and the same thing with that, right? Or they'll be like, well, the therapist didn't understand me. And then I ask, well, did you tell the therapist that you felt misunderstood? No. We just stopped going, right? And it's like, okay, the thing that you probably do with your partner, you're now doing with the therapist, and you're just creating the same patterns, right? And so when you're wanting to actually address this stuff, you need to bring this stuff up, right? Therapists, coaches, I mean, they're pretty good about, okay, well, help me understand better. Like, if I don't understand it, I need to understand it because mm-hmm. I'm going to help you. And I think that's also a misconception of the therapist uh, is an expert, you know, an expert on my personal experience, or there's also some fears of being judged. Um, and granted, mm-hmm. there are some therapists who are judgmental, but for mm-hmm. the most part, I mean, there's therapists who are pretty compassionate and have a non-judgmental stance towards things and are just curious. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's the other thing I recommend is, you know, try out a few different therapists if you need to, particularly individual therapists, that's what I recommend, but look for someone mm-hmm. who has couples training if you're looking for a couples therapist. Um, right, because, you because that is a very that. different world. Yeah, that's, that's actually a oh. very different, different way of, of working. Is, you know, mm-hmm. I, and I don't know if you're familiar with Terry Real, but he's, yep. you know, he's, he's fantastic, and he, and he basically says, you know, if I'm the couples therapist and you each have individual therapists, he goes, I'm in charge. <laughs> I just go, okay, <laughs> because, because he gets, you know, because we're looking at, you know, as couples, people who do couples work, we're actually looking at both um, the individual and the rela- individuals and the relationship together, which is, which is a skill set. Yeah. Well, and, and we, get, we get to have both perspectives in the room. We get to have both people in the room, whereas individual, you only get one voice, right? And that voice can be biased. That voice can have its own perspective. And, you know, often what we see in individual therapy is, is that that can become very persuasive for the other partner. Go, wow, mm-hmm. like, or even to the therapist, to the therapist, go, wow, your partner really sucks, right? And, like, kind of tag along with that in individual, whereas in couples, it's like, yeah, your partner isn't, super nice, but you're also adding fuel to the, the fire, right? And here's mm-hmm. how you perpetuate or escalate issues. And so I think it is it is really important to see someone who can have both perspectives and honor that because they see a lot more than what an individual therapist will see. Right. I mean, and, and, and part of that is is being trained in, in the perspective of that. So, um, you know, and as a couples coach, I'm a firm believer that every couple can benefit from outside guidance, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But for now, what are some signs that a couple is heading down the wrong path and really could use some help without waiting six years to get it? Yeah, I think part of it is escalating conflict, 
right, where you start mm-hmm. to kind of attack each other's character, um, a lot of defensiveness. I mean, there's a if you type in four horsemen into Google, uh, those mm-hmm. are some very predictable patterns that we see that starts to ruin relationships. And and it's not so much that those occur, because even in, in healthy relationships, we, start, we see it occur temporarily. But in mm-hmm. unhealthy relationships, it becomes a habit of a habitual way of communicating with each other, right? And so um, that's a huge flag to kind of look at, you know, feeling really lonely and almost like your roommates uh, and like, yeah. or that you're just focused on the kids, right, and you haven't romanced each other in a while. That's something to talk about, like, why have we become so distant? And, and having an outside party help you look at that and examine, you know, if you're open to it, how to change some of your habits or reprioritize your time so you can make your relationship flourish. And what we see from research is when the couple is able to have a strong couple bond, then the rest of the family actually is better as well. Um, and so that's something important too. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a really interesting uh, thing, that, and it's something that I see a lot with the people that, you know, that I work with. And it, and it is. It's very difficult in, in what I call the child you know, our child-centric society that, you know, it's like, well, well, it's all about the kids. Well, up to, you know, and, and what they don't recognize is that what the kids really want is for the, the parents to have a really good, strong, stable relationship, which actually gives the kids the foundation to be able to grow up healthily. But, but right now it's all about everything's about the kids. We never want the kids to be bored or unhappy or <laughs> disappointed, and so we, we make ourselves crazy. And what happens is the marriage ends up on the back burner. Yeah, 100%. And, and, it's, and, that's, and, and the other thing is both parents are, are drained, right? Mm-hmm. They feel drained. I mean, mm-hmm. I was working with a couple this week who they're just like, I, my cup is empty. You know, mm-hmm. I, I manage the household. And the other part is my cup is empty. It's like, yeah, you two haven't figured out a strategy how to have some self-care and make that a priority, but also have couple care, right? Go out on your mm-hmm. dates and have, have family and or neighbors help you out. And, like, you know, then they start going into, like, oh, well, we have fights about which restaurant to go to, and, you know, I get five options, <laughs> and she doesn't choose. And then I said, the point of the date is not to pick the restaurant. The point is getting out of mm-hmm. the house and being together. So if you right. focus on that, you know, it, this should not, you know, how can you make it just out of the house with just the two mm-hmm. And that, if you can do that, I'm sure the rest of the night will probably start to take care of itself. But I think that's, like, there's a lot of barriers that come up with some of the stuff that miss the mm-hmm. real purpose or intent of making the relationship better, if that makes sense. Yeah, one of, one of my hard and fast rules is that date night is not to di- go out and, di- and dissect the relationship. It's about going out and having fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it requires yeah. interaction. And one of the things I suggest is having, a, is having a date night jar so that you don't have to think about you know, it's like, okay, let's just go pick something out of the date jar. And, and, you know, and obviously, and I suggest both indoor and outdoor activities based on the weather, you know, but so, so that you don't actually have to think too terribly much about it. That, you know, as you're going along, oh, this sounds like a good idea. Let me write it down and stick it in the date jar. And then, and then you're not stuck in that, like, fear in the headlights, what are we going to do kind of thing. Oh, my God, it's date night. What do we do? Right, which is where a lot of, I think, couples get stuck is they – you know, oh, I don't know what to do. Let's do what we knew, normally do. Let's pop on Netflix, pour a glass of wine, and, and veg out, 
<laughs> right. right. And like while, while that can be fun and relaxing while we might need that time, right, you're not going to feel yeah. super connected. You're not going to feel the intimacy or emotional intimacy that might happen when you're asking each other questions or going mm-hmm. to a new restaurant or going through a walk through a park and exploring new things and having new, new experiences, right? Having yeah. new experiences also helps renew the relationship too. And I think that's something to have right. those ideas in that jar, like you said, is so important. So what are, what are some of the other reasons or, or signs that people could benefit from, from couples' work? I think trust and commitment issues comes up a lot. Um, right, I don't mm-hmm. trust you or I don't know if you're committed. Right, talking about that or talking about the fears and anxieties that come up around that, um, that's really a big thing that I see a lot. I think attachment insecurities, uh, which mm-hmm. is essentially just insecurities about feeling unimportant, not feeling good enough, low self-worth, and fears of being abandoned. Or on the other side, fears of being dependent or relying on another person, um, which can cause kind of loving another person at arm's length. And, and that other partner will feel like they're not important and they're not a priority. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a huge thing that, I mean, we see a lot in, in couples therapy, it's, you know, especially this pursuit withdrawal pattern that comes from those attachment insecurities. Right, um, and that's a really another... interesting, but that's a really interesting thing that, you know, that dependence versus independence when it's actually trying to form some form of healthy interdependence. I'm okay by myself, mm-hmm. but I'm better with you mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, it's so like, what else? it's right, it's, it's my own, it's, I am my own person and I'm connected to you and can rely on you, right? Versus uh-huh. independence is I don't depend on anyone. Over-dependence is I depend on you for everything. Um, right. And that's where it gets really messy and insecurities really hijack the relationship. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, going on, going on other things, I think feeling really emotionally dismissed and unsupported. Uh, that's uh-huh. a big thing I see, particularly uh, I see a lot of men who, because of, masculinity and cultural upbringing, right, they don't really mm-hmm. connect with their emotions. And so when they see their partner crying or they see their partner sad or depressed, they tend to get into fix-it mode, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't connect with the emotions. And so their partner feels unsupported, emotionally dismissed, and it leads to less intimacy and less connection. And so that's a huge right. thing that uh, comes up. I think sexual intimacy is another part, whether it's Issues with desire discrepancies. One partner has a lot of desire, the other partner doesn't. Um, sex isn't talked about. You haven't had intimacy in six months, year. I mean, even mm-hmm. three months, I would mm-hmm. probably start to talk about it. Um, issues with in-laws, right? Friendships work. Yeah. I think that the relationship is not being protected. Um, that's a mm-hmm. huge one. Um, I think anything... The, the, the three A's, which is abuse, affairs, and addictions, uh, those are things that are tough, um, yeah. and, but there are things that are important to address, right? And, I mean, the Gottman Institute, we're currently doing a research study uh, on affair recovery. Um, I know another clinician uh, who is doing a study on uh, couples recovering from addiction and how they can improve their relationship during that time. And then mm-hmm. in terms of, like, domestic abuse or emotional abuse, I mean, that's important stuff that, you know, needs to be addressed. Uh, and right. if the abuser or the person who's having the affair or having addiction doesn't want to change that stuff, 
then you kind of have the answer in terms of their commitment to the, the marriage or relationship as well. Yeah, and that's, you know, and that's an interesting thing because, because a lot of people look at those three things as being, um, I mean, and, and in, some respects, in some respects they should be deal breakers to a healthy marriage, but that doesn't mean that if they're present, they can't be dealt with. And again, that's just a right. really, really different way of doing it. I mean, I've had, I've had many, I mean, I remember, I remember years ago a couple coming to me um, you know, he'd had, you know, he'd had like a, it wasn't, it wasn't a long-term affair, but he'd have, he had like, he'd had like a couple of one-night stands, and and they really wanted to work work their marriage out, but they, but when, you know, when they would Google stuff, anything that was about affairs, it's like, well, the relationship has to end, and it's like, you know, it doesn't have to. It 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 may end up that way, but a lot of people think that affairs can't can't be recovered from. So I'd be I'd be really interested to see what comes out of of um, the study that the, you know that, that that Gottman's doing because I think that's that's going to be a really helpful thing. Um, I just want to remind people that this is happily ever after is just the beginning on WebTalkRadio.net. And I'm talking with relationship coach and writer Kyle, ben- Kyle Benson about the benefits of couples counseling. And you may be one of the many people who think your relationship isn't that bad, or maybe you're unhappy and think you've tried everything, but not that. Um, the truth is that relationships are only natural up to a point, and after that, their success depends on what you're willing to learn and implement. And if you're ready to do that, I'm ready to help. So give me a call or send me an email to schedule your free, no obligation, create your happily ever after discovery session. You can reach me at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, and as in Nancy, C as in Charlie.com. Or you can reach me by phone at 919-924-0463. Oh, again, that's 919-924-0463, and I want to get back to talking about what you might expect or who might benefit from couples work. So, Kyle, in your piece, you mentioned that the best intervention for a relationship is prevention. So what do you mean by this, and how can it make a difference? Yeah, I think this is, I think one of the things that we see a lot in the couple space is this idea of kind of falling in love uh, right, mm-hmm. that's the that's the great part. That's the easy part, right? <laughs> our our body creates this cocktail of emotions and hormones, and you know we get this we go through this limerence phase where it's just this this honeymoon phase that we call it, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, our, it feels the amazing. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with them. Everything is just fantastic. <laughs> right, and, and we're much more tolerant of the differences. We're much more tolerant of the issues. We're able to be a little bit more flexible. But as that, those, those hormones kind of wear off as, as the longevity of the relationship increases, right, one of the things that I think couples really forget to do is to stand in love, to be really intentional about it. And what we know is that if you do nothing to improve your relationship over time, even if you aren't doing something destructive, your relationship will decline, right? And this goes for your car, this goes for your house, this goes for your teeth. I mean, it goes for a lot of things. If you're not uh-huh. maintaining or, or managing it or making sure it's getting the care it needs, it will fall apart. And the same goes for uh-huh. a relationship. And so 
really kind of what I talk about with prevention is, I mean, you can look at the six hours to a successful relationship that the Gottman Institute kind of did some research on. So there's some really helpful things that include there. And they talk about the date night, right, making that two hours every week or having a uh-huh. day union meeting where you talk about what's going well, what's not going well. And by, by being proactive, you actually can have your relationship get stronger over time, whereas if you're being reactive, you tend to – your relationship will get into a really negative place and it's going to be a lot harder of a mountain to climb. Um, and that's what we see. It's, it's like the more you let things kind of slide naturally, typically uh-huh. the more of a, a difficult place you'll be in and the harder of a climb it'll be to get out. It is totally possible. But if you go to therapy early or you work with someone earlier and you're reading books or you're going to workshops, it's going to make a drastic difference in the long-term kind of benefit of your relationship. Right. I kind of liken it to either, you know, finding out that you, you know, pre-cancerous. So you start doing things, well, you do things first off to avoid cancer, but then, you know, it's like if you go to the doctor, the doctor says, oh, here's the thing, you know, that we want to take a look at. It's like, it's like instead of waiting for stage four cancer, yes, you can survive stage four cancer, but oh my gosh, is it, is it not a, a horrible experience that you'd rather stay out of or even... The other example I use is, is it, it's easier to maintain a healthy weight than to lose 300 pounds. You know, and, and, but, but, it's, but for some weird reason, we have this mindset that, you know, as I said, you know, that, that relationships are natural, that there isn't anything that we can do. And, of course, I'm talking with somebody who's associated with the Gottman Institute, which is like, no. There are things that you can do. Why, why, why do you think people are so resistant to this concept that, oh, if we're, if, if we're having to work really hard, that, means, that either means we're, we're, we're doing marriage right or it means I'm married to the wrong person, which, which you've got those kind of dichotomies going, well, well wait, either, either I have to work on marriage really hard or if I have to work on marriage really hard, it's not the right person. How do, how do we get there? What, what is that about? I think it's a it's a it's a the, some of the cultural myths that we wrestle with. I mean, if we even look at like uh, Disney, right, kind of fairy tale mm-hmm. romance, right? It, it makes it, and even if you watch TV shows, right, it it makes this this lovely thing to watch, and it looks effortless. It looks passionate, um, and even you know you watch uh, like The Notebook, right? There is a couple scenes in there where they're physically violent with each other, and yet. That's such an idolized movie. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, it portrays a relationship or an intimate relationship. Uh, yeah, they care for each other, they love each other, but how they treat each other is not really the greatest. Not great. Um, yeah. It's good entertainment. It's catchy, right? If we, if you were to watch really happy, successful couples, you're probably going to get a little bored. I mean, they're going to be romantic, <laughs> they're going to be nice, but it's, it's, and what we see from the research is they're much more neutral, right? Mm-hmm. There's not this, like, wildly passionate stuff all the time. There's just a lot more, like, yeah, we're calm, we're connected, we feel secure, right? And there's a lot uh-huh. more flexibility. It's not these escalated fights or this, you know, we, we uh-huh. verbally attack each other and then have passionate sex afterwards. It's, it's, you don't get that in a healthy relationship. Well, and, and by the way, if, you, if, if people actually lived that, they'd be exhausted. And you know, that's what I tell people. I said, I said, good relationships are really boring to anybody who's not in them. 
Because if you're in a really good relationship, it's not boring. It's very supportive. It's, it's very freeing. It's, you know, it's just, you know, what people want. You know, people talk about this level of intimacy. They want, you know, the, they want to be seen and heard and valued. But from the outside, that's boring. That's like it, it, it won't, you know, you're, if, you, if you had a television show based on that, it would be canceled after, the, after three episodes. So even even after all of this talk about how beneficial and what people can get from couples work, I can still hear some people's objections. And one of the biggest ones is, but my partner won't go. And another is, why dig up the past when nothing can be done about it? So how would you respond to, to those objections? So I think on the one hand, and what we see in the research is that, yes, there tends to be a partner who drags their feet, right? They don't, they don't really want to go, and that's because they typically have misconceptions about therapy. Um, mm-hmm. And so I actually have another article uh, on the Gottman website um, that talks about five steps to inspire your partner to join you in attending couples therapy, and it talks about how you can engage them in a conversation in a positive way to see what they want changed in their relationship. Right? It's likely if you're unhappy, they're probably unhappy to a degree as well. Right? Mm-hmm. And so kind of being able to find out what they want different and also inspire them to go. And so that's a big thing is figuring out kind of the leverage that you can get that will help them see that, oh, this would be beneficial for them. Uh, and mm-hmm. also talking that, hey, like we're going in here to work on our issues. I think the other thing that comes up in mm-hmm. my partner is they believe they're going to go in there the therapist is going to team up with their partner and just bash, bash them and make uh-huh. fun of them and judge them and criticize them, and it's just going to be a horrific experience for them. Um, right. And so that's another big reason why people won't go. And so if you're the partner, you're like, no, we're in this together. Right? If, you know, I'm going to share my experience. I'm going to talk about my experience. Uh, yes, it's going to be difficult, but I need you also to talk about your experience because I know I'm not perfect. I know I also contribute to these problems. Um, and that sense of weakness can make it a lot easier to get your partner to get into therapy, too. Right. Uh, and the and other thing, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Another thing, what? Well, I was going to go into the next question. Well, okay. So before we go to that one, then, it's like, but, but you know, and one of the things I want to say is that sometimes doing your own work, you know, in, in relationship, in relation to the relationship can also be helpful. I know that one of the, Michelle Wiener Davis, who's a who's, um, you know, well-known therapist, one of her very first, one of the very first sessions I ever went to was It Takes One to Tango, which was actually talking about going, going and, and doing the work by yourself if your partner actually refuses to go because it, it is that idea that if you change your part of the pattern, then your partner has to change theirs. It's a little bit harder but it, but it can still pop, you know, but it, but it can still work. But let's go to the why dig up the past when nothing can be done about it question. Yeah, so I mean, how would past, you... it, yeah, I think people see the past as the past, but that's not how it works, you know, in our brains, right? Our brains mm-hmm. live off what is called this, our bodies and our brains live off what is called this self-sense. And if we have bad experiences in the past with our partner, our body kind of keeps that score even unconsciously. Uh-huh. And so what we see, particularly when working with couples, is we have to kind of dig up these past events, some of them, uh, and bring some healing. I kind of refer it to as like the dirty laundry in the relationship. It's like 
we have these dirty issues and these dirty, this dirty laundry that gets thrown in the closet and gets mm-hmm. is per, and we're kind of pretending it's not there, but yet it's stinking up the relationship. And so mm-hmm. what we have to do is we have to start to pull some of that stuff out and clean it and make the repairs and kind of digest what happened. What, why did we have that? Why didn't we repair that? And actually, first off, re- learning how to repair and make amends from that incident will actually be healthy because if another incident comes up in the future, you'll be better prepared and have more tools to actually handle it. And that wound that people are carrying with them actually starts to get healed a little bit. And so it'll, it'll makes it a lot easier to trust your partner and makes it a lot easier to be more positive with each other. Because if you're mm-hmm. carrying all these old, old things with you, right, it's going to come up in, in the present, right? And there's a famous psychologist, he talks about the past is in the past, um, and it's like it's, it's always with us or something like that. And I think yeah. that's true. And, and when I see couples escalate, one of the first things they do is, well, back in, in 2002, you <laughs> did this, uh-uh. right? And so it's like, okay, well, clearly you, some part of your brain is saying we need to dig up this past because it still hurts me today. And that's why it's important to talk about that stuff. Right, because, because it, it, it changes the lens through which we see our partner, and so we kind of have to go back. We have to go back and reshape that lens, and the only way to do it is to go through and, and repair the wounds that haven't been repaired yet, you know. And, and, and that's what makes couples work uncomfortable because, you know, we want to leave the stuff in the corner of the closet. And it's like, okay. But, you know, like you said, it's, it's thinking up the relationship. Is there anything else that you can think of that would encourage people to at least consider doing some couples work? I mean, I think, right, I mean, it's like having a, a coach for, for, your fit, for your body, right, or a fitness trainer or things like that, right? Having an outside party is incredibly helpful to getting you to see kind of the things that you might be blind to. And I always Mm -hmm. use the metaphor of like a picture, right? If you're stuck in the frame, it's really hard to see the whole picture, whereas someone who's outside that can see the entire frame and see a lot more things. Uh, And that's Mm -hmm. one of the big things I I hear from my clients that were like, yeah, like you have, you're able to offer a different perspective that is really helpful for me to see core themes for us to see kind of some of the dynamics or see how our bodies respond. Like I didn't even notice that I, I kind of start to cross my arms or I laugh when anger comes up, like all these little things that, that get kind of pointed out when an outsider is able to do that. So I think it can be very, very powerful uh, to do that. And I think there's, if you're wanting to look at this, right, I wrote an article also on the Gottman website, how to find a couple therapists who actually help you. And mm-hmm. I walk you through on questions to ask, the types of couples therapy that are out there, um, even, you know, therapists who are trained for uh, relationships that are not monogamous, you know, a partner who might be trans or, or things like that that are really important to make sure that you don't feel judged and you feel cared for. And so I kind of, in that article, that's the that's helpful piece. And I also lay out questions to ask the therapist, right? It's a two-way street. You need to not just show up and assume this person is going to be the best person for you, right? Mm-hmm. Just like dating, you got to find a therapist who also fits or aligns with your values, right? And so that's another thing that I highly recommend is interview your therapist or even get on a quick phone call with them and see, mm-hmm. how, see kind of their values and see if they align. And if they align, have a few sessions with them. And the last thing I think is stick with it, 
right? And that's a huge thing okay. that I see people do, just as you said. They'll go to three sessions and say, oh, it's not working. But <laughs> in reality, three sessions is, to be honest, is the, only the assessment portion, right? You haven't even mm-hmm. got through actually even starting active treatment. And so I think that's, that's really important to recognize that it's going to take some time, right? I would com- recommend committing to at least 10 to 15 sessions and, and sticking it out and see what happens. Um, because that's going to be really important. Right. I kind of liken it to, you know, you're remodeling your house, and the first part is you have to tear down the old stuff, and that's really messy, and it's uncomfortable, and you can't see the, you can't see the way through, which any good, any good counselor, it's our job to keep that, that final vision, like the architect or the, you know, or the general contractor, it's our job to keep the final thing in mind to get you through those really ugly, <laughs> dirty times that people have to go through. And that's usually when people just, just bail. But, but I so love your talking about interviewing the, um, the, the, the professional because what we know is that what makes one of, the, one of the things that makes therapy in general work or counseling in general work is the, is the relationship between the professional and the client. And if, and if that's good, no matter what the, um, you know, what the, what the form of, of, of it is, that's what really makes it work. And anybody, and any therapist or, or professional who isn't willing to be interviewed, it's like, okay, next, because that's, you know, I mean, I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I'm sure you've worked with clients who go, yeah, we're, we're just not a good fit. And, and, and by the way, we, we should be okay with that. <laughs> you know. So, Kyle, is there anything else you want to add? Can you tell people where they can find these other articles and where they can learn more about the benefits? Because the Gottman Institute is, you know, it, if, it, if it isn't the top place, it is certainly in the top five places to get great information about relationships. Yeah, so I would recommend you going to Gottman.com. I mean, you're going to find a ton of stuff there. Look at their blog. Um, that The blog is very active. I think their social media pages are great. I mean, the team there is lovely. I mean, I, I'm always inspired by the stuff they're doing there. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll find, uh, I mean, I think I have like 60 articles there. Uh, mm-hmm. So... You'll find plenty of my content there. If you're also curious to more, a little bit more about some of the work I do, uh, you can go to kylebenson.net, and there's 170 articles there about conflict, intimacy, emotional connection, other things um, that a lot of people have found very helpful. So great. So the idea that your options are either to stay in a less than satisfactory relationship or get out is a false one. There's a third option. See if it can be made better. And the statistics say that it can. And going back to the words of the great one, not doing it is certainly the best way to not getting it. So what would it take for you to do it? And hopefully one of those things is to keep listening to the show and to wonderful guests like Kyle. And until next week, stay loving.